Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 26. We'll be looking at verse 36 to 46. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 46. Read with me. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again, and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Let's pray one more time. God, you've heard all of our cries. We are unworthy and our cries are weak. And we pray that for Christ's sake, for the beautification and sanctification of His bride, so that she will be more holy, practically speaking, more radiant. He will have greater joy in her that you'd come now. That your Spirit would attend your Word. And that you'd make plain the sight of Him that you give to us in your Word. Cause every heart to be riveted on the soul of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. As Tommy mentioned, this is one sermon with eight parts, and the single banner verse is John 6.38, where Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And our aim, as is the case in all of our sermons for today, is to zoom in on one particular moment in the life of Christ. Specifically, God's here given us not only a record of His external deeds, what He did, what He said, not to minimize those, but here He gives us even a window into the soul of Christ. His heart, His thoughts, His emotions, what He felt. And that window comes at a moment of His greatest passion, turmoil, pain. In fact, we'll see that he there experiences in our text such trepidation and anguish that he seems to indicate that the pressure in his vascular system could end his life. 
to the point of death, he said. He's come immediately now, as Tommy mentioned a moment ago, right up to the moment of his own betrayal and crucifixion at the hands of men. And worse than that, he's now right at the doorstep of bearing the wrath of God for the sin of all God's people. He's here now. And so the Holy Spirit in the Scripture gives us a window into that terrible moment when the darling of heaven is crushed underneath that anticipation and trepidation of what is to come. And so our goal, our aim, our hope with God's help is to worship Christ as He's here revealed. To see Him suffering and in temptation and worship. A few brief words about context. Matthew 26 contains at least six references on the part of Christ to His own betrayal and crucifixion. The single chapter, we're at close to the end. There are at least six times when He Himself says that He will be crucified. He's not confused about the mission. He's not confused about what will happen. Immediately following our text, there has been the woman who anointed Him with the oil. This is so recent that He still smells of that oil. Judas Iscariot still has silver coins in his money belt walking around in Jerusalem, heading towards the garden. The disciples have just eaten the Lord's Supper. Their stomachs still contain wine and bread, symbolizing Christ's body and blood poured out. All these things, he reeks of the perfume that was to prepare him for oil. And here he takes them right to the place where he knows he'll be betrayed, the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows, Christ knows, he's about to offer himself on God's heavenly altar. So we have, for the remainder of our time, two simple headings. The first heading is the earnest nature of Christ's prayers. The earnest nature of His prayers. And the second is the words of His prayers. The actual supplications that Christ prayed. So first, the earnest nature of His prayer. Look in verse 37. Christ is passed into the garden. And the text says that He began to be grieved and distressed. The word distressed is one of three words in the New Testament for distress or depression. And it is the strongest word in the New Testament for depression. It's a strong word. You're meant to get a picture similar to a person who's just stricken with mental illness. Not that Christ was mentally ill, but the pain and suffering inflicted by that sort of depression. He's come so near and it's so heavy on him that he is distressed. What we're looking at is Christ standing right at the edge of the cliff about to offer Himself for all of God's people. And then in verse 38, look what He says. I referenced it already. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. His soul was grieved. His inner man. The place where feelings are felt and where pain can be felt. This is a grief and an agony that he says is so severe that one could die for it. We're all familiar with the fight or flight response. Our mind perceiving external circumstance changes things in our body. The adrenaline that begins to pump. So Christ perceiving that he's about to offer himself is under such agony that he could, though he wouldn't, prematurely die from the pressure. You know these feelings. His fingers would have shaken violently 
in his prayer. He would have been able to feel in his head the thud of his pulse beating. Indeed, that same pressure in his vascular system caused him, as is recorded in Luke, to sweat great drops of blood falling down on the ground. And it's in this sort of agony, this state, this trembling, weak, hard state that you see him pray to his father. Note in verse 39, the posture of his prayer. Remarkable words. He went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed. He fell on his face. Let those words register with you. The man we've been speaking of who felt this anguish in his soul, this pain, this hard feeling is eternal God. He made the garden in which He's there suffering. The nails that will soon enter His hand, He made them. And He falls on His face in dependence on His Father. The hymnist, Writes, you know the line, view him prostrate in the garden on the ground, your maker lies. So we've seen this is an earnest prayer. Earnest prayers are prayed on your face with trembling hands. And now we'll turn our attention to the words of Christ, his actual supplications. You can feel, I hope, the trepidation of his mighty soul as he gets closer and closer to bearing God's wrath for God's people. Look at verse 39. His first prayer. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as You will. We've now come directly to the apex of our worship of the Son of God together. As a man, he feels the horror of what he will soon offer himself unto. He's able to project himself into what those sufferings will be like and is aghast at the pain and horror. Surely there can be no greater level of self-denial. And yet, his own volitional desire to do all of God's will is stronger than his own holy, natural, normal desire to avoid tasting sin. Christ is not at odds with the Father in the words of His prayer, not as I will, but as you will. This is not a cosmic power struggle. He is not an involuntary sacrifice dragged to the altar by His Father, as was Isaac. He wasn't forced. He was not coerced. We shouldn't understand that to be the meaning of His words. The denial of His will stated in His prayers, not as I will, does not indicate unwillingness to suffer. He's not backing out of God's plan. Everything that Tommy said to us holds true forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet, as He gets close, He feels the horror of what's coming. Indeed, His own desire, His preference, His delight, His determination, His choice to do the Father's will was greater than his own natural inclination to avoid pain and destruction. In fact, the greater the natural inclination to avoid pain, the greater must be his own legitimate desire to do God's will. Only 
a high delight in doing God's will could overcome that sort of suffering. He willed his own will more than the Father's will. Said it backwards. He willed the Father's will more than his own will. So we see our Lord pouring out his heart to his Father with loud crying and tears, as Hebrews tells us, determined to do all of God's will. Note the word yet in the verse. Let this cup pass from me, yet, not as I will, but as you will. In this word, the decisive blow is made in the battle between Jesus' two legitimate desires. We'll talk more about that in a moment. As a beloved son, a child to his father, he acted as all children should. He knew how to run to his father for refuge and to pour out his heart before him. Being a man like you and me, Jesus naturally startles and is taken aback by such proximity to bearing sin and being crushed under the weight of the wrath of the Almighty God. And as is only right, he runs for refuge to the loving care and protection of his Father. There's no malady in his apprehension of death and of wrath. Help me, Father. And in this word, yet, his concomitant desire to do all the will of God is shown to be higher, preeminent, stronger, greater. His own desire to accomplish the Father's good pleasure, the cause for which he was sent, and the food by which he lived, proved itself to be a greater desire than his natural desire for prosperity, safety, well-being. Help me, Father. And the word yet expresses that. Indeed, the word marks the determination in his own soul not to allow one holy desire to take an unholy place of prominence in his heart. Indeed, in the heart of Christ, as is true for us, were many holy desires. And as is true for us, many times those legitimate desires and needs come into conflict. The person must choose. And the key is, what's highest? What is first in the heart? This necessary choice is not a small matter. The goodness of the two needs or two desires does not imply that it's a small matter. Indeed, rightly, placing a lesser good desire higher than the highest desire can rightly be called idolatry and our Lord was not an idolater. The principle is clearly taught in Matthew 10 when Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Clearly in the scriptures, to love a father and a mother is right and good and pleasing in the sight of God. Indeed, honoring a father and a mother is commanded in the scriptures. But Christ said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And the key is the word more. To place a love and an allegiance to earthly relations, father and mother, above that same love and allegiance that we ought to have for Christ. That makes a man unworthy of Christ. Good desires in the wrong order. Christ had legitimate desires to be delivered from evil. He had legitimate needs as a man, as we would call them. Food, shelter, clothing. But he knew in this moment, it's being, it is incumbent upon him that he has to give up all of those desires and subject himself voluntarily to the will of God. After this first prayer, Jesus returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. That's verse 40. He rebuked them for their carelessness and exhorted them to watch and praise. They were extremely vulnerable to temptation. 
Then he went away again a second time to seek the face of God. And he says in verse 42, look at it. My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Let's pause for just a moment to consider what Christ meant when he used the analogy of drinking a cup. No doubt, he would have been familiar with Psalm 75, 8. Let me read it to you. Don't turn there. For a cup is in the hand of the Lord, and the wine foams. It is well mixed, and He, God, pours out of this. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down its dregs. A hard verse. Picture as an anthropomorphic Anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. God the Father pouring the cup of well-mixed wrath, the wrath and indignation of the Almighty God into the mouth of Christ who voluntarily drains and drinks down its dregs. Have you tasted grainy, strong dregs of red wine or coffee? The soot at the bottom the strongest part you can't drink with a straight face. Now hear Christ say, My Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, Your will be done. Observe the contrast between the Old Testament wicked in the verse. They drink the cup involuntarily. It's forced upon them. They're not repentant and they are made to drink and swallow. Their mouth is put on the cup as Almighty God executes justice. They would do anything in their power to turn their head and remove their lips from that cup. Now see Christ, motivated by a higher desire to do all the will of God, volunteering to save a people for God, and raising His own lips to the same cup. See His face as the strong, sooty dregs enter His mouth, the wrath of God swallowed to the last drop. It is Finished, he said. See him determined to accomplish all that the Father had given him for the purification of his bride. Now hear him say again to the Father, My Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Here, there is hope for sinful souls like you and me. Jesus Christ was determined to do not his own will, but the will of his Father, no matter the cost and suffering to himself. In the moments before drinking the cup of the cross with the dregs of the terrible wrath of God, he poured out his heart to his Father in complete resignation of his own will. Not as I will, but as you will. The prayers that that night did indeed result in Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Can you see that what Christ accomplished there is sufficient for our salvation? He did indeed drink the cup. Would he have endured that sort of anguish had it not been sufficient to remove our sins? See him now, risen from death's hole, interceding for God's people, interceding on the basis of what he accomplished. My Father, you know I drained and drank down the cup of your wrath. You know I drank every drop. And you know, Father, that there is no remaining wrath for my bride. You know that my sacrifice for her makes her white as snow. You know that, she, that the dregs 
are no more. You know that there's no wrath for all of my people. Saints, our lips will never touch that cup. The psalm is not going to be fulfilled for all of God's people. Christ Himself first came and took all the wrath of God for us. The Father's will has been exhaustively done. Let's pray.